Well, happy Saturday, City Life Church. Thanks for joining us, whether this is your first time and you're visiting us or whether or not you've been with us every week here for Online Church. We're excited uh, to have you worship with us today. Hey, let me just make a, a, a few notes here before we get started into uh, this final message in our series, Me and My Big Mouth. It's just a reminder that if you call City Life Church your home, we're going to be doing an online business meeting uh, at the end of this message. So if you call City Life Church your home, uh, when we get to the end of the message, it's going to be about a five minute break. We're calling it the business meeting uh, break. And then we're all going to come back to whatever device you're watching on. And then Pastor Justin and I want to give an update uh, on where we are as a church, given this global pandemic, how it's affecting us. Uh, now that the governor's come out and said that we can begin to worship at 50% capacity, uh, uh, Pastor Justin and I wanna share with you what our plan is going to be going forward for next weekend. Uh, and then we also have some uh, news that we wanna share about some significant changes that are happening here uh, at the church. So hang in there with us. Again, uh, stay tuned uh, at the end of this message for that business meeting. So what an amazing series. I know we've all felt it. Uh, this is just one of those moments where we joke as a staff that God makes us look better than we are. Uh, I don't think we could have picked a better series. We're all, uh, dare I use the word, trapped in our homes with one another, maybe in closer proximity than what we're accustomed to, spending more time than we're used to. Uh, and I know that patience can wear thin. Uh, and that this has been an incredibly important series for us, I feel like, to give us an added measure of self-control uh, with one another that I hope isn't going to be temporary. I hope this situation is changing us and transforming us, uh, which is going to be our topic uh, for our message tonight. Pastor Justin, Steve, Sharon, um, are amazing teachers. Uh, of God's word. And so I just thank them for being a part of this series. Also, Vanessa's message uh, last weekend for Mother's Day on the armor of God, incredible message. So appreciate the giftedness that's here uh, in this church. So let me begin by just uh, sharing a quote by Andy Stanley. It says, what goes around comes around. The powerless often find themselves in a position of power and the people who hurt them may someday need them. When they have those people right where they want them, meaning the powerless have the people who have formerly been powerful, when they have them right where they want them, what they say will say as much about them as anything else. If our words are stones, will we choose to throw them, to use them, to pave a way forward? Father, as we dig into this message tonight, as we so often say here at City Life, may this message dig in to us. Father, we believe that what Andy Stanley is saying here is true, that our words speak volumes about who we are. And so we pray, God, that this series is going to impart to us, has imparted to us, and is going to continue to impart to us tonight spiritual insight that's going to help us to submit ourselves and to avail ourselves to the work that you're doing in us to change our character. Because we want our words ultimately to be a testimony of the formation of the character of Christ in us. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said together, amen. 
Hey, this verse comes out of James. We've been talking about it throughout this series. It's James 3, 7 through 8. It says, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. And, and as I've been watching this series, just like you have, it's raised a question in me. How do we reconcile what James says in these verses to what Paul says in Ephesians 4, 29, where he, he writes, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. When we read these two verses, it's almost as though James and Paul forgot to talk to each other before they wrote their respective epistles. Because it seems at face value that James is saying, don't even try because the tongue is untamable. You, 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 you can try to control what you say, but it's an impossibility. But then Paul comes along and gives us a command. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Now, the only way that you can stop any unwholesome talk from coming out of your mouth is that you have to have some measure of control over your tongue. So how do we reconcile these two things together? We've, we start by remembering that James and Paul are not the authors of these epistles. They are the instrument of the author, and the author is the Holy Spirit. So whenever our conclusions come to a contradiction, the problem is not with the text, the problem is not with scripture, the problem is with our interpretation, the problem is with our perspective. And under closer examination, when we look at these two verses and these two texts and the entire book of Ephesians with the entire book of James, what we find is that they're really actually both saying the same thing. And what they're saying is this, that if we want to change what we say, then we've got to be willing to change who we are. You can control your tongue. You can control what you say, but you can't do it without first doing the heavy lifting of changing who you are in your character. You see, James is just saying it to us in the negative and Paul is saying it to us in the positive. What James is saying is that the tongue is untamable and uncontrollable if you try to deal with the tongue. But if you deal with your character, then what the tongue says will shift. If you want to change what you say, you must first change who you are. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a home where if you said a bad word, your mouth got washed and rinsed with soap. Now, I, you might have heard that. Maybe that, 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 that you've, you've seen it in movies. Maybe you've, you've read it in stories and didn't know if it actually happened. But I'm living proof that, 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 that it's effective, that, uh, that soap has a terrible taste. And I think what your parents are trying to say to you is that the taste of the soap in your mouth, that that's what those bad words should taste like to you. There should be an aversion to that. Now, I'm just saying to me as a child, if I had known that those verses were in James, I think I might have been inclined to show them to my mom as an excuse to say, hey, I don't have any control over my tongue. And I think what my mother would have done is then she would have showed me those verses in Ephesians and said she would have said, you need to try harder. You see, I think if we're not careful, we will use verses like James as an excuse 
to not make the kind of changes that we need to make. I think that oftentimes, not just with this text, but with other parts in the Bible too that talk to us about how difficult our humanity is to overcome, that we use them as justification to live less and we must not let the Bible become permission for us to sin. There is work to be done. Character change is difficult and it is hard, but it is what Christ calls us to. If we're going to change what we say, we must change who we are. Listen to this verse in Matthew 12, 34. It's, this is Jesus talking to the religious leaders of his day. He says, you brood of snakes, how can evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever your heart determines, for your heart, for whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Change who you are, change what you say. Proverbs 10, 11. This is a famous verse. It says, the words of the godly are a life-giving fountain and the words of the wicked conceal violent intentions. Who we are determines what we say. So when we change who we are, we change what we say. Luke 6.45 reads this way, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. This is the Holy Spirit in Scripture saying to us over and over and over and over again that when we change who we are, we can change what we say. So we're going to look tonight at a story in the Old Testament. It's a story about Joseph. And the reason why we want to look at this story is because it is a powerful reminder that God is willing to jumpstart our journey of change through hardship. Meaning that if we're not making the kind of progress that he would prefer, that if we're, if we're not moving along in this journey of the character of Christ forming in us, he loves us enough to take us where we would never choose to go ourselves to immerse us in hardship, knowing that that hardship will begin to shape in us a new character. So we start in Genesis 37, verses 5 through 11, I'm not going to read all of that for the sake of time, but if you're a note taker, and again, these notes will be online for you, this is where our story is going to pick up again. Genesis 37, 5 through 11. And if we can, can kind of divide Joseph's life into three different acts, I'm going to name them through the suffering that he endures. And the first one is an act we are going to call betrayed. That Joseph is betrayed by his own family. In Genesis 37, we find that Joseph has these incredible dreams and he presents these dreams to his family. He does it on two different occasions. And what we find is that as Joseph is presenting them, he's not presenting these dreams as a prophet should, as someone who God is speaking to, because if God gives you insight for what's coming in the future, we're supposed to use that gift to serve others and to not lord over them. And what we understand through this story is that Joseph is presented to us as someone who is arrogant. He's presented to us as someone who is self-aggrandizing. He is someone who is presented to us as impetuous, intolerable, and entitled. Now, does that mean he deserves what happens to him? 
Absolutely not. I'm not saying that that my character gives other people permission to mistreat me. But what I am saying is that when our character is flawed as deeply as Joseph's is, God is willing to expose us to hardship for our own benefit. Joseph knew he was gifted by God with dreams and that he was his father's favorite son. If anybody needed the lessons of growing kids God's way, it was Jacob because his family was terribly dysfunctional. But instead of using those gifts, instead of using those gifts and his status to serve others, he used them to boast of himself and to belittle others. Now, if you've never read the story of Joseph, I hope that you this weekend will take the time picking up in Genesis 37 and read, as you'll see later as we come to the end. But here we see in Genesis 37 that his brothers, because they're so exasperated with this younger brother, that they scheme to kill him. They conspire to take his life. Now, one of his brothers... Reuben intervenes and convinces them to not kill him, but to throw him into a well. And by putting him in the well, Reuben's plan was to come back later that night and to take him out and return him safely to his father. But unfortunately, before Reuben could return, his other brothers sell Joseph into slavery. And then they concoct a story that Joseph has been killed by a wild animal. He had been given a favorite a coat uh, of, of, of many colors. We, 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 we believe that the, 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 the Hebrew, it's a little bit elusive, but, many, but most people believe it means that it was some type of ornate clothing that set him apart from his brothers because he was the favorite son. They took that very coat, which, was, which to them was a symbol of, of their father's love. They took that to them. They covered in blood uh, with the blood of an animal, and they presented it to Jacob as if it was evidence that he had been attacked and killed. Can you imagine the grief of Jacob in that moment, believing that he had lost a child? You know, one of my favorite shows uh, that we record set up in our DVR is on the History Channel. It's called Forged in Fire. It's where they bring in these blacksmiths and they compete and they're, they're given some type of task, some type of knife to make or some type of sword to create there uh, in, in the studio. Uh, if you've never seen it, it's fascinating to watch. But one of the things that, that, that you know uh, from watching the show is that in order to shape the metal, it has to be, heat, it has to be heated. It has to be brought to a temperature of between 1,500 and 2,000 degrees before you can hit it with a hammer and begin to move that metal that would otherwise be immovable. I I share that with you because I believe this is what hardship does for us, for our character. We are a stubborn people. We, 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 We dig in our heels, even the things that we know that God is trying to work in us for our good. There's something in our human nature that rebels. And I believe that hardship is something that God uses to put us in a fiery furnace of sort to bring up the temperature of our lives so that he can begin to shape in us the character of Christ. God used the betrayal of Joseph's brothers to turn up the heat. God loved him enough to allow him to suffer so his character could be formed. God shapes our character through hardship to prepare us for some moment in our future where our words will either be stones we throw in retribution 
or become stones we throw to build a road to lead to our destiny. All right, so we move from act one to act two. Act one is betrayal. Act two is accused. And what I'm suggesting to you is that our hardships yesterday prepare us for our temptations tomorrow. Genesis 39 Eight through nine. Again, we have this story now that Joseph finds himself in the employ of a man by the name of Potiphar. He's been sold into slavery. He's been purchased as a slave, as a servant uh, to work in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar, what we find is that Joseph begins to excel. The favor of God is on Joseph's life. And he finds himself now over all of Potiphar's house. He's second in command only to Potiphar himself. And in this story, Potiphar's wife begins to make advances to Joseph. He tempts him. He lures him in to a, a private moment and offers relationship to him. Now, I believe that the Holy Spirit puts these two stories next to each other on purpose because I believe that God wants us to see that by Joseph's suffering betrayal, it prepared him to face temptation. See, I, I believe, I believe that Joseph, because he has experienced the sting of betrayal, that he now does not want to become a betrayer. I believe that if Joseph, the, the, the impetuous, the self-aggrandizing, the, 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 the egotistical Joseph that we saw in Genesis 37, if we took that young boy and put him directly into Potiphar's house, I think the outcome is clear. I think he would have availed himself to that temptation. I think he would have become an adulterer. But God allowed him to experience that betrayal. So now he was prepared to face temptation. And now that he's experienced the sting, of betrayal, he knows that he does not want to become a betrayer himself. The greater the destiny, the hotter the forge. Let me say that again. The greater the destiny, the hotter the forge. Now you might say, Fred, I hope God doesn't put me through the kind of things that Joseph went through. And, and my encouragement to you is God knows what your destiny is. God knows what your purpose is. And God knows the kind of work that needs to happen in you for the character of Christ to form in you. It doesn't mean that we're going to go to the extent of these things. It means that God is willing to do the work necessary whatever our calling might be. It's like the story of the rich young ruler. God doesn't ask every person to sell all of their possessions and give the money to the poor, but he is willing to ask us if that's what's needed. Don't forget, Joseph had a very specific destiny and all of these experiences are making him ready for that. You have a very specific destiny and God is going to make you ready as well. And hardships, even if they're not as severe as this, God is gonna use hardships in your life to make you ready and to form you. The greater the destiny, the hotter the forge. Now let me just share this with you too, because being accused of something that you didn't do is difficult. Because see, that's what happens in the story. Joseph does the right thing. Joseph rejects Potiphar's wife's advances and says, no, I, I'm, I'm not gonna develop and enter into a relationship with you or a moment of pleasure with you. And even though he does the right thing, she accuses him of having been the advancer. She accuses him of being the aggressor. Potiphar believes his wife, believes those in the household that take her side. And now we see Joseph is cast into prison for something that he did not do. Being accused of something that you did not do, it stings. But I would suggest to you that for Joseph, it was a hardship that was preparing him 
for his future. You and I, we can't choose what other people say about us. But we can choose who our accusers are going to be. Let me, let me just go to a little sidebar here for a minute. As I was praying through these notes last night, I had such a sense that someone needed to hear this. For, for some of you, you're, you're struggling in your identity because you have allowed people who have not earned the right to be an accuser to enter into your life, to say things about you and to buy into what they're saying about you that aren't true. All of us need accusers. Now, I know that might sound odd to you, but, but that's because accuser in our society has a negative connotation. But there are healthy accusers. Can, can we agree? That's part of what the Holy Spirit does for us. Now, we, we use the word conviction because we don't like the negative connotation of accuser, but you and I need the Holy Spirit to accuse us. We need the Holy Spirit to come in and say, stop doing that. We need the Holy Spirit to come in and say, those thoughts are wrong. We need the Holy Spirit to come in and say, stop succumbing to that temptation. You're, you're dishonoring God and you're dishonoring your destiny and your calling. We need friends who do the same thing. We, we need friends in our life who love us enough to accuse us when something needs to be pointed out in our lives. I have people in my life that I've invited into that place. I hope you have people in your life that you can invite in. But giving someone the place of accusation in your life is an incredible honor and it's a sacred responsibility. And what I would encourage you is that no person should be allowed and invited in to be an accuser in your life until you first look at the fruit of their life, until you look at the character of their life. You should only let people enter into a place of accusation in your life when there is the fruit of a godly life and when there is the fruit of the character of Christ operating in them. And what you're going to find that there's times in life where people have earned the right to be an accuser and then all of a sudden their life takes a wrong turn and, and you've got you've to remove them from that place or they will shape your identity in a way that is unhealthy. For some of you, you need to be free from things that people have said about you because you've embraced them as an accuser and you've embraced the accusation and you need to let people that you can trust and especially God himself be the one that speaks things over your life that are corrective in nature. Let me share this thought again as we move on to act three. God shapes our character through hardship to prepare us for some moment in our future where our words will either be stones we throw in retribution or become stones we throw to build a road to lead to our destiny. You see, we do right because of who we are and not the outcome. We do what is right because of who we are not the outcome. You know what I love about Joseph? As you continue to read this story, Joseph doesn't say, well, I might as well have just had a relationship with Potiphar's wife. I might as well have just given myself to the temptation. If I'm gonna suffer the consequence, I might as well have enjoyed the sin. That's the lie that the devil wants you to buy into. But what can I, can I just say to you, there is no enjoyment in sin. There might be enjoyment in a moment, but that enjoyment is fleeting. And at some point, the suffering begins to come. The book of Proverbs says there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end of it is death. I love that we see Joseph changing before our very eyes. We see his character moving. We see him being shaped by the hardship that God is subjecting himself to. We do what is right because it is the right thing, because of who we are, because of what is in our heart, regardless, regardless of the consequence or the outcome. All right, act three, we've looked at betrayal and we've seen how his betrayal prepared him 
for temptation. And then in Act 2, we see that he was accused of something that he did not do. And what we're going to see now, that his, his, his experiencing an accusation of something he did not do prepared him for the next temptation that is to come. So in Genesis 39, 19 to 23, again, if you're going to download these notes and follow along uh, with this study, they're there for you. Genesis 39, 19 to 23, what we find is that Joseph is now in prison. And, and I've entitled this act forgotten because he's gone from being the favorite son to the favorite employee and a person that's experiencing a measure of wealth to now someone who is forgotten. He's been cast away into a prison and it seems that it seems that his life is completely lost. Let me share this thought with you. Just because we feel forgotten by everyone else, we are never forgotten by God. If you're watching at home right now and you feel forgotten, what I would say to you is you're not forgotten by the one who's created you. When God is turning up the heat, those aren't the moments when we are being forgotten. Those are actually the moments we are at the center of his attention. This is the truth that scripture gives to us. God's begotten are never forgotten. His begotten are never forgotten. We, we think about Jesus as God's only begotten son. What, what does that mean? It, it means that Jesus was his created. Now, there is a, a sonship that Jesus shares with God that we're never going to know. But it doesn't mean that we're not also begotten by him. He's created us. He's given us the gift of life. He is our father. And he is a perfect father that never forgets his children. His begotten are never forgotten. So here we see Joseph entering into his next temptation. In Genesis 40, verses 5 through 8, Genesis 40, 5 through 8, let me read these verses to you. It says, while they're in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker, so these are two employees of Pharaoh, who's the ruler of all of Egypt, his cupbearer, and Baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. And when Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today? He asked them. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Inter Listen to what Joseph says here. Interpreting dreams is God's business. Joseph replied, go ahead and tell me your dreams. Now, if we're not careful, we'll move past this story too quickly. But this is evidence of an incredible change that's taking place in Joseph's life. See, because I believe that if you took the Joseph of Genesis 37, the impetuous, self-aggrandizing, egotistical young man of Genesis 37 and put him here, I think Joseph would have said interpreting dreams is my business. But he doesn't. What he says here is that interpreting dreams is the business of of God. Being accused of something that we did not do prepares our character so we do not take credit for something we should not claim. Let me read that again. Being accused of something that we did not do prepares our character so we do not take credit for something we should not claim. If we're not careful as we move forward, and our destiny is playing out and the giftedness that God imparts to us, we can find ourselves taking credit for things that we've done that's nothing more than the result of the gifts that God has put into us. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't have a healthy pride and accomplishment. It doesn't mean that we can't acknowledge the giftedness in other people. But at some point, something inside of us has to recognize and realize that all that we are and everything that is within us 
is ultimately for one purpose, and that is for the glory of our God. God shapes our character through hardship to prepare us for some moment in our future where our words will either be stones we throw in retribution or become stones we throw to build a road to lead to our destiny. We see Joseph, he suffers betrayal. He suffers what it means to be accused. He suffers what it means to be forgotten. And these hardships are the fire of the furnace of God that he puts us in. He allows us to pass through to make our character moldable and malleable for him. He's trying to change who we are to prepare us for our future. And then eventually we find Joseph coming to his moment. You see, our destiny is something that ultimately, ultimately plays out, right, in completion. But there are also significant moments, I believe, in our life that I would call destiny moments, meaning that they're mile markers. I, all of our life is significant, but there's no question that there are certain moments in our life that are more significant than others. You see, God is at work. He's at work trying to bring to the world a savior. And that savior is going to come from a nation that's not yet been formed. And God picked Abraham to be the father of that nation. And Jacob and his family, his 12 sons, become the 12 tribes of Israel. And in this moment where, where, where Joseph finds himself eventually, as you continue to read in the story, he finds himself back to similar to what he had in Potiphar's house, but now on a national scale. He's second in command to just Pharaoh himself. And in this moment, his brothers come to Egypt because of a famine. And Joseph in this moment has a choice to make. Is he going to seek retribution or is he gonna seek reconciliation? And his decision in that moment determines whether or not the future of Israel is going to move forward. Because see, God's plan was for Joseph's family to come to Egypt, to thrive for a time and a season, eventually become enslaved. I know it's hard to believe, but that's part of their hardship as a nation. There is hardship for the person, and there is also the hardship for the nation. Another sermon for another time, I'm sure we're gonna be getting to based on what we're going through right now. But there's also hardship for a nation. And what we find is that the hundreds of years that the Israelites suffered in slavery under Egypt, they weren't preparing wealth for the Egyptians. They were preparing wealth, wealth for themselves. Because the Bible tells us that when the Israelites came out of Egypt in the book of Exodus, it says that Egypt heaped their wealth upon them. Where did that wealth come from? That wealth came from hundreds of years of slavery by the Israelites. The Egyptians were just a savings account for God, for the nest egg that would give birth to a nation. And all of that history finds itself in this moment where Joseph has to make a decision. And I would suggest to you that if God had not asked him to endure all of those hardships, he would not have had the character that he needed to be the person that would take God's story forward. You and I, we have a destiny and our destinies are always interconnected into God's bigger story that he's at work to bring about eventually a new heaven and a new earth. I don't know about you, but I want the kind of character that when I step into those moments for the part of God's story that I'm supposed to carry, that I'm gonna be the one that moves it forward and not the one that God has to work around. You see, when you experience betrayal, 
when you experience being accused, when you experience being forgotten, you have a choice that you have to make. God subjects us to the hardship. God leads us oftentimes into these difficult moments. But at the end of the day, it's your choice for how these hardships are going to affect you. So you can either become embittered or you can lean into God and let him use the heat of hardship to shape and forge your character. See, being forgotten, not only did it protect Joseph from retribution, not only did being forgotten keep him from seeking revenge, it also created in him an incredible desire for reconciliation. You see, when people mistreat you, it's one thing to say, I'm not gonna seek revenge. It's something else to seek reconciliation. You see, when people mistreat you, it's one thing to say, I'm not going to, to, to seek retribution on them, but it's something else to, 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 to begin to desire and to pray for a pathway to restoration of relationship. And what I would suggest to you, what I believe the text is teaching us is because Joseph experienced what it was like to be forgotten, it birthed in him this incredible insatiable desire to, for relationship to be restored. And Joseph isn't the only one that demonstrates this for us in Scripture. Listen to these verses about Jesus. This is powerful. In, in John 1, 10 through 12, when it talks about Jesus coming from heaven to earth, it says he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. Jesus himself was forgotten by the world that he himself birthed. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. If you've experienced a feeling of being forgotten by people that you've loved, if you've experienced this feeling of being maybe set aside or sidelined relationally in some way, you have a choice that you have to make. Are you going to seek retribution? Are you going to seek revenge? Or is, it, or is it possible? Is it possible that God allowed you to experience what Joseph experienced? Is it possible that God allowed you to experience what Jesus himself experienced? Because he's trying to birth in you a hunger and a desire to see people restored and reconciled, for your relationships to be restored with people and relationships that are formerly fractured, and especially to create a desire in us to be a reconciler of people to God himself. This teaching tonight, let me share these thoughts with you, is by no means intended to say that we should give up our fight against injustice. Just because God uses hardship to shape us doesn't mean that we should just posture ourselves as victims in the face of injustice. I'm not saying that you should accept being betrayed or accused or forgotten without standing up for yourself or others. We, we, we never see Joseph not standing up for himself. But what we see is that as Joseph is standing up for himself, he also avails himself to this journey of character change and transformation. My point tonight is that God's love isn't just comforting, it's dangerous. God's love isn't just comforting, it's dangerous. He is willing to lead us into hardship to turn up the heat, to shape our character. 
When we look at situations and circumstances that's going on right now in Georgia and other places of social injustice around the world, we're not using this message to say that as a church and as a Christians, we're going to posture ourselves as pacifists. We're not saying that. We're going to continue to be a voice that fights against injustice. But we understand that it doesn't mean that there's not going to be times where hardship is used to change us and shape us, to prepare us for some moment in our future where our words will either be stones we throw in retribution or become stones we throw to build a road to lead to our destiny. This is the last verse I want to share with you tonight. It's in Psalm 1914. It says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let me share that again. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. There is a reason that the Holy Spirit inspired the psalmist to put these two points together. The words of the mouth and the meditation of the heart. Because God is trying to help us to understand if there is any hope in changing what we say, it begins by changing who we are. The meditation of the heart determines the words of the mouth. If we ever hope to change what we say, it starts with changing who we are. Father, I pray for everyone that's watching right now who might they themselves be in a season of hardship even as we speak that is defined by betrayal or accusation of being forgotten. And I pray that tonight's message would give them an incredible sense of hope. That even though it might be that they're being treated unfairly. That even though it might be that their journey, like Joseph, is, is, is that they're being victimized by dishonest people. That God, you're going to help them to see that you're going to use these hardships in a purposeful way. They're gonna use these hardships to shape who they are. That you're going to use these hardships not just to prepare them for temptations that are coming that you want them to overcome, but that you are at work shaping their character to make them ready for their destiny moments that are coming. I pray, God, that even now that there would be a sense of hope, that there would be a sense of faith would be stirred up in them. And I also, too, pray, God, because I know that for some people, their betrayal and their accusation of their being forgotten is not something that happened today. It, it's something that happened years ago, but it feels like it was yesterday. That there's people that, that are suffering from hardships that happened decades ago. I pray, God, that they would unveil themselves to the journey of healing that you want to bring themselves to so that their past hardships are not present harm, but their past hardships would be gifts to them that shape their character and not continue to tear at the fabric of who they are. I pray, Father, for healing to come. I pray, Father, for healthy voices in all of our lives, that we would choose wisely for who the accusers are going to be. And I pray, God, that all of us would look into our future with a sense of incredible hope and expectation, believing that there is a purpose that you have called us to, each of us individually, not just collectively, but every single one, God, that there's a part to your story that you've given us to play. And we know that in order to rise to those occasions, the character of Christ must be strong in us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. And everybody said together, amen.